seated. You may be seated. If you want majors, why don't you go ahead and turn on some mics and get them moving around just in case uh, there's some people that want to make some comments. You know, uh, chapter 3 of uh, 1 Thessalonians, it's kind of like begins with the continuation of uh, what Paul was talking about in, in, in chapter 2. Uh, he continues the argument to confirm, you know, how much he loved and cared for them and, uh, and how much uh, he wanted to uh, see them again. And again, keeping in the context of what had happened, that this was a baby church. This was a young church. And when this church was founded, you know, Paul got ran out of town shortly thereafter. So he didn't have a, a lot of time to spend with them to, to see them grow and mature. And so because of that, he had this longing and this desire to get back to them to find out how they were doing because his biggest concern, as we saw last week, that he didn't want them to, you know, uh, stop progressing in the faith, to go back to some things that they were doing before uh, their salvation experience, before they accepted Jesus Christ. And so we are going to see a little bit of that tonight relayed again, and we're going to talk about it and try to discuss that. So one of the things we see here uh, from this lesson that we all should kind of hold on to is that if you are saved and, and, and you are trying to live for the Lord and do the things that he has called you to do, at some point in time, you've got to realize and buy into the fact that you are destined for trouble. I mean, and I think that uh, because when Christians get saved or when we give our life to the Lord, everybody paints this rosy picture for us, and we start talking about heaven immediately, but we still got to live here on earth. And, and so by virtue of that fact, some Christians are, are kind of disillusioned so that when they come into the faith and then they hit hard times, then they they say it feel like they've been set up. You know, we have to tell them rose bushes have thorns. You know, rose is pretty, but if you're not careful, you can get stuck. And so it's the same way. When, when we come to the Lord, it, we come with challenges. And when you want to get out there and to share your faith and try to live how the Lord wants you to live in a way that Paul's going to talk briefly about here tonight, you're going to find that with that comes some opposition, some, some persecution. You know, he tells us in the scripture, those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Not might, but you will. So it's, it's coming. And if you're never getting it, it may be that we're not trying to live up to the standard that God has set before us. Because when we try to live up to that standard, there ought to be some blowback every now and then. Somebody's going to have some problems with what you're trying to do, what you're trying to relate. And so look at this, what he says here now. In verse 1, he says, finally, when we could stand it no longer. We decided to stay at Athens alone. In other words, he's talking third person as he implores him because uh, Timothy and, and, and Silas was there with him, but at the same time, you know, when he said we decided to stay at Athens no longer, so he stayed there, but he sent them back to check on him. Now, check on them. Now, what I want to stop and talk about for a moment is, is at the very beginning of verse 1, he says, finally, when we could stand it no longer. You know, just think about your life. Have you ever had it? I can't take it no more moment. I can't stand this no longer. Just think about it. I, I mean, you done been in a situation, a predicament, whatever, and you say, man, I just can't stand it. I can't take this no longer. 
normally when we get to a no longer situation, it forces us to make a decision. A lot of times people stay in jacked up relationships because they can still stand it. When they get to the point where they can stand it no longer, they either decide they're going to live right and try to make it work, or they go part company. You know, there are a lot of things that come in our lives that, that we don't get out until we can get to the point where I can't take it no more. I can't stand this no longer. And I think sometimes, based on how our tolerance is for a situation, we stay in some circumstance and situation longer than we probably should. And so he says, now, when I could stand it no longer, and here he's talking about, man, I'm longing to see you guys. I'm longing to find out what's going on with you. When I left you, you was a young baby church, and, I, man, I'm trying to figure out what happened to y'all. Did y'all just die on the vine as soon as I left? Did everything fall apart? Because we didn't stay there to ensure that your roots had taken deep in the gospel. We had to leave in a hurry. And so now, thinking of that line, I want you to think in your life, do you know some people who roots weren't deep enough and they are no longer in the faith? You know, just think about it. There are probably some people that you've seen that even come to strive. That for whatever reason, now I can see if the Lord then took them to another church, that is, that's different. But they don't go nowhere. They just, just no longer talk about Jesus, no longer care about Jesus. It just, it no longer have a desire for the things of God. And what happens is, is that when those things happen to people that we know, that ought to cause us concern, especially if you know the person, if you know the person. you you, you got to reach out to people when you feel like, hey, man, this, you know, this person used to be all the time. They talked about the Lord. They loved the Lord. But now you're around them, and they never even want to talk about nothing of godly. So you got to say, man. There are people in our midst who are still falling away today. And so he was concerned that, hey, when we come out of the world, transformation don't happen like that. And so if we're not careful, people will come in, and then before long, they'll be gone, and you wonder, what happened to them? And, and so what I want to do, now, Jeff, I ain't going to put you on the spot, but you're a young guy, so I'm just asking. In, in your mind, you know, based upon your birth, rebirth experience, how long have you been saved? Um, I, was, I was saved at least about two years now, like fully, fully. I was kind of like halfway in after that, and now I'm kind of like just about all the way in. Yeah. Okay. Told me to be out a little bit sometimes. Okay. So, so we say two years. Now, knowing that about him, and I, and I kind of figured he was a young saint. You know, I just kind of figured that, and, and that's why I called him. So now, guess what? Say, say, Pastor, knowing that he got two years coming up on this belt, and all of a sudden it goes six months and we don't see him. I ain't talking about he done went to another church or he done deployed. I'm just talking about we don't see him no more. Then that ought to tell us, that, hey, man, did we build on his foundation the things that he needed to sustain him? Knowing that he's a baby Christian, he needed. And this is what Paul said. And look, these were baby Christians, and I need to make sure that if we're not careful, the world will snatch them back. And I'm going to show you here tonight, a couple of the people that used to run with Paul abandoned him. 
went back to the world. So this is no new phenomenon with Christians walking away and going back to the world. You just need to make sure you're not one of them. And it's our job to try to encourage you not to be one of those who would do that. And, and so what he says here, now when he could take it no longer, when I could stand it no longer, we decided to stay along in Athens. And we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. In other words, I told you last week that ministry of the team effort. So Paul didn't do this thing by himself. He had others that supported him and others that uh, uh, ministered with him. And so he saw it as a team effort, and he trusted them enough at times to send them out to do things that he could not do. So he said their job is to do what I was doing, to proclaim the good news of Christ. And this is why we sent them, and this is why we go back to young believers. We sent him to strengthen you and to encourage you in your faith. See, coming to Bible study and coming to worship service and being around other Christians is all designed to strengthen us. And we should be a word of encouragement for one another. Because once we start getting isolated, the, the, the devil is going to sift us. That's why Jesus said, hey, the devil desires to sift you like wheat. And sifting is a separation process. So when people say, man, you know, I'm still believing, but they'll never hang out with other believers. They don't fellowship either online or some kind of way communicate. They don't get the, into their eyes and ears things of God. The word of God don't stay with them. Then sooner or later, they're going to get sifted. Because our old nature, until you die, going to still fight you. And that's why Paul said you got to crucify flesh every day. Every day is a battle that you got to win with you. The war that's going on on the inside of you. And so some days we have great days, and some days we may slip and lose a battle. But just because we lose a battle, we shouldn't lose the war. But when we don't fellowship around others and we get isolated, it's no different in the jungle. When you look at Animal Kingdom, man, they, the lion just looks for the weakest one. He don't have to be faster than the fastest gazelle. He just needs to be faster than the slowest one. Because if he's faster than the slowest one or the one that can't keep up, then that's the one he's going to sift. Did I see your hand? Major, go ahead. So, so, Pastor, with that said, how, how effective, because I think you've said or it's known that Zoom is not going away. So with that said, how effective is Zoom in doing that? And I, and I know you said that we got to figure out creative ways to, but with that scenario, how, how effective is, can that be? Right. If, if, if you have a generation that's saying, I can get the same thing online that I can get by coming around the same. I, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't think you can. I mean, at some point, you got to fellowship. you got to be able to look somebody in the eyes and say, hey, this is what you need to do. You, you, you're isolating yourself with Zoom, aren't you? Well, it, it depends. I, I think that, you know, the COVID has forced us to look at ministry in a whole different way, especially with online and, and streaming and things of that nature. I'm a firm believer that believers got to fellowship with one another. I do think there ought to be some interaction. But there are some people coming up in a generation where they don't spend 50% of their life sitting behind a computer screen talking to people all over the world, and they feel like, I'm just as connected. This dude in California, I ain't never met him, but we talking like we know each other like that. Now, I don't buy into that, but 
but because they got a common interest, and I can use my grandson there, he's, he's one of them gaming guys. He play all this, these gaming stuff, and he be on, on the six hours talking to dudes all over the place that he didn't even know. But that common thing keep him locked in. And he, at least he, now doing that, he's getting good at it. He's learning what it's all about. Now, he, in his mind, that's the way we communicate. That's the way we can do things. So to him, I may be able to get that same connection by sitting here and watching granddad on TV. I ain't going. I'm going to just believe that I can get that. Now, if that works, then he got to produce that when he leave the house. He, he got to produce that when he go out and interact with people to say, hey, I'm getting something out of this. I don't want to say that people can't get something out of it, but I think that as we go forward, ministries have got to learn how do we make that connection with that online person stronger. It, it may be difficult to ever validate that, but all we can do is get the word out there. But I'm an old schooler. I believe that saints ought to fellowship one with another, come together from time to time. And, and I know it sounds, you know, bad to say, okay, I know COVID changed a lot of things, but, but folks everywhere, but church, I mean, they go everywhere. I mean, they go, folks, that means you tell them, they go everywhere. But then all of a sudden when it comes to going to church, oh, man, you know, around all them folks, you know, Man, come on. You was at the mall, you was at the movies. I mean, you you eating out every weekend. So people do what they want to do. And, and I hope that people will, even if they stay at home, that they sanctify the time. Don't just say I'm staying at home. And, and I know I, I can sound kind of, you know, dogmatic here. But man, you've got your eggs and your toast and your avocado and cheese and all that. And you trying to listen to pastor. I ain't going to win that battle. I, ain't gonna, I mean, you, you sit there enjoying your breakfast, smelling your food. You ain't going to bit more of your pain. It's almost like trying to watch something you're really interested in because I don't start looking at a lot of TV other than news now. And when I try to eat and watch the show, I'm glad Netflix allowed me to go back because I'm always going back. What did they say? I, I miss up. And now I'm saying I knew it. But if that had been Pastor Bolden preaching, when I stroll back and say, I need to catch it, I missed something. Now I done got hooked on that Netflix, and I go back and I want to make sure I heard what they said because the language they're using now, I want to make sure I'm interpreting what they're saying right. So I go back because now I am, I, I'm not sitting there just trying to eat and do 10 different things. I'm locked in. And so what I'm trying to say, people, when we commit to God, we got to lock in. I mean, we can't come to him with a half-heartedness and, and trying to do multiple things and think the word of God is going to get deep down in our soul and we're going to retain it. Because as the word of God is going forth, there ought to be some processing going on in your mind. How is this word going to apply to me? And how can I use it in my life? What truth am I supposed to be getting out of this? But we can't get there if we're being preoccupied. And those are just distractions. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to distract us. Any other comments? Amen, I see your hand over there. Anybody? Anybody? I wanted to comment on when you were saying how um, your grandson, he might feel like he can get it that way as long as he go out and can apply what he is receiving online. 
I think that might be possible. I think it may be different for different people. Somebody might not be as disciplined as, as somebody else to be able to really receive that word online. Like you said, you, you busy eating, you might have missed something that was really important. But if you sanctify that time, I, I think you can get the word online and apply it to your life. But does that change what the scripture says about coming together and, and worshiping together and stuff like that? No. Um, but I think we, ha we did what we had to do for the time we were in during COVID. You know, we got creative and Zooms everywhere. Um, that free conference call, you know, people were just doing everything that we could do to stay connected um, to worship and doing what we had to do in that time. And now we just got to look at it. Are we still in that same time frame? No, but some people, that's where they are. And I think that's where some people may stay. That's just the reality. That's and the reality. So that's since that's the reality, we got to, as a church, use every platform that we can to spread the gospel. And somebody may never walk into this church, you know, into church doors, but they still need to hear the word. And yeah. so we just got to get out there and, and be active on those platforms. Yeah, eventually, do we want them to come to the house? Yes. But the reality is, <clears throat> excuse me, the reality is they may never come. Yeah. It's a proven fact that, you know, that people going to, some people going to opt for convenience, you know, because, hey, now, you know, a good scenario, you live in Crestview, you got three kids to get dressed on Sunday morning to get down here. If the kids ain't knocking down the door to say, I want to go to children's church, I want to go to children's church, I just really got to go to children's church, you may say, well, man, this morning, I don't feel like rushing, that's a 45 minutes, gas up to. I'm going to just catch them online. Again. Pastor, Pastor, I got, I got the same comment that I had, I think, last week. People make time for the things that they want to do. Pre-COVID, post-COVID. <laughs> People will make time for what they want to do. If you want to come with the three kids on Wednesday night from Crestview, you'll come. If you don't, you won't. So let's don't blame, we can't blame it on the time because during the COVID time, people were still doing what they wanted to do. If they wanted to go out and do things, they did. If they didn't want to wear a mask, they didn't. If they did want to wear a mask, they did. So, I mean, we can't say that we did what we had to do. No, you did what you wanted to do and you're still doing what you want to do. I, I, yeah, we got to change the time. I get that. But there's a whole lot of people going to football games. There's a whole lot of people going to concerts because they're doing what they want to do. Pastor, well, I agree somewhat with Major, but I think <laughs> Major they still, if, if they set aside that time at their house, yeah, they still making time to hear the word. It's just not in here. And so are they doing what they like to do yeah if they making time they just at their house but but every but, i'm not saying that's all the time but sometimes you're gonna find that situation where you you got three kids and and, and it's gonna be rough and they got to go to school the next day all of that and if they make time and we got the capability to provide it on zoom on facebook on those uh those uh platforms that technology we need to utilize that technology 
Yeah, yes, sir. You're, you're absolutely right. But, but when, we, when we learn the word and for Christians that, okay, say the word is in me, it's not just for me. And so now, in order for us to spread the gospel, in my mind, the way it should be, we have to be around other saints. Sometimes I might not get a word from Zoom, but if I see and talk to you, if I'm talking to you for five minutes, you might say something or you might be going through something, the same thing that I'm going through. And I was like, man, I needed that today. I can't get that on Zoom. I, I agree with that. I'm just saying, I'm not saying it, it needs to be an everyday or uh, every Wednesday and Sunday thing, but I'm just saying if a situation occurs, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. The situation yeah. occurs, occurs, they have that platform available for them versus not having it at all. Yeah, I, yeah. and I, I think I'm going to ride with if, if there are things <laughs> in our lives that we want and need we're we going to go get it, Rob. I mean, do you agree with that? You know, I, I agree with um, Major. Major. Regardless, I mean, people, whatever we want to do as humans, we're going to do it. That we don't want to do, we're not going to do it. We're going to justify, make excuses, regardless. When are we going to move forward with COVID? You know, and, 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 and I think, you know, the, and the point is that, you know, it, even the studies are saying now, it was a time when you would ask a Christian, a normal Christian about church attendance. They would normally say, hey, man, we saw every Sunday is the Lord's Day. And most people felt like, hey, I go to church every Sunday unless I'm sick. But now the trends are most people are going to give you two Sundays out of the month and the other two they're going to catch you on life unless they committed to some in the ministry where they got to be there to be a part of. And I think that's the key is you got to make people feel like they're needed and have to be a part of something. It shouldn't be that way, but that's what some people come. I'll come now because I got to usher today. I got to be in the sound booth. I got to do this. So I can't do that from home. But if I don't have no commitment to serve in any capacity, all I'm doing is going to sit down and listen, get the word, and leave, then, hey, if they see me twice a month, I'm with him where I, what, we do what we want to do. We make, we make a priority for the things that we want to do. I'm there 100%. I, I get that. I said that. I believe that. I'm just saying we need to take advantage of the platforms that are available because the reality is everybody's not coming into the church, period. Like, they, everybody's not coming back. But, but Pastor said something that was, he said, Things that you're committed to, say like if you're committed to saying I got to usher, I gotta, I'm committed because I have to go because I'm committed to this. That. Well, if we're committed to God and if we're committed to worshiping, then guess what? <laughs> then, then commit. Major, you're going to get the argument that, hey, I'm committed to God in my living room. That's what you're going to get. Somebody's going to say, I'm in my <laughs> living room and I am fully committed to God. That's how some people feel. So um, I do agree, because when I first moved down here, I couldn't find a church home. It took me forever. I want to say I did online church, I want to say, for about two months. I tried when I was like, mm, I don't really like it, but I still got the same worry as if I felt like I was in a church house. I felt the spirit through. I made, it said, you are the church, so I made church in my living room or church in my bedroom. I utilized the platforms I had. I still agree that, you know, 
you should find you know fellowship within the church slime here but I still watch, I have a pastor that I watch in Texas that I still watch, and I'm grateful that he used the YouTube and the Instagram and all the different other platforms because I, I get excited. I felt like I was in church one day. I was in my <laughs> living room. I was so excited. I was like, woo. So I, I, I agree. Maybe get your mic. No, no, no. Get your mic, Major. I agree with her, but I see her every Sunday and Wednesday. Do you, is it different now for you? Because you could have still said, you know what? Even though I, I went to Strive and I could still chill at the house. But uh, I see every Wednesday and Sunday, I see you. I do because I enjoy it. So I, I do. I do enjoy <laughs> being in the <laughs> I do enjoy I being my case. Maybe you guys gonna drop the mic on that. <laughs> okay, I got you. I got but 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 that, but but again, I think everybody is not at the same level. People receive things in a different way, and and I just think that uh, as we go as a church, it's to our advantage, to, like Adrian said, and you said, and others, that we have to utilize the platforms of there, and then we got to come up with things that will make that person want that. Do you say? That, that the service is, I'm so committed to it, even though I'm not there, it's going to be like my weekly show. You know, I ain't going to miss this, you know, because I, I, I tell you what, you know, I don't start watching the legacy of the Lakers, you know, and, and seeing that. And now, every week I'm looking for that, man. I mean, I'm looking for when, and I stumble on it every week because I, I don't know how to tell when it's coming out. But I know when, when it pop up, they say, now I'm trending, bam. And I don't sanctify at that time, and I'm finna watch this thing because I don't follow it all the way to Shaq and Kobe fighting and breaking up and all this. So I, I got to follow it all the way till they get to Bron Bron because I don't start watching now. I'm committed to it. And so what I'm trying to say, things that, 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 that we like and we commit to, then we'll make the necessary sacrifices to, to, to do what's required to get that. And that's why he was telling them here, hey, I'm sending you back to those guys because, one, I want you to strengthen them. You got to get them on a firm foundation. I didn't have time while I was there to lay a foundation and let it set because it takes time to set the foundation. I had to leave before that. So you got to go back and continue to strengthen that foundation, the foundation of the gospel, the foundation of the truth of the Bible. You got to strengthen that foundation. And then once you strengthen that, you got to encourage them because babies will get discouraged in a hurry. You know, sometimes about two, two, three months in their salvation, sometimes, you know, you got saved on a high note. You was dancing, shouting, crying in church, you know, blowing snot everywhere. Boy, you had that moment. You know, it was just that moment. You're going to remember it the rest of your life. But three months in, that moment ain't going to be the same level of excitement for most people. And so by that time, that's when you start rethinking, what did I really do? I didn't know when I did that and did all that in church that now I'm learning that I got to, this is something that the Lord is talking to me about. So now they have a tendency to say, okay, now it's easy to kind of pull back, just like Jesus in the parable of the seed. You know, we got that word with joy and excitement, and it popped up so quick, but it didn't take root. And because it didn't take root, when the sun came down and scorched it, it died. And so what we have to do as, as, as leaders and as ministers and fellow Christians, we have to make sure that young believers are encouraged and that they, and they take root. Because if they are not encouraged in the faith, there's a good possibility they can walk away from the faith. Now, one of the things that, that 
and I keep saying this, and it's been about a couple years now, there are a lot of uh, people of notoriety that's been Christians for a long time, uh, have now re-examining their faith, they say, and they call it deconstruction. I, I want to deconstruct the faith, meaning I want to tear it all down, look at it again, and say, can I really accept this as true? Can I accept? Now, one guy came, reversed himself a little bit because he had deconstructed his and everything that old and traditional, he felt like that was no longer necessary. He stopped doing it all, said, hey, and people said, well, he's been to fall away from the faith. And he came back and kind of, you know, clarified what he meant by saying, if I'm going to deconstruct the faith to make the world fit into the faith, then I'm deconstructing it for the wrong reason. Meaning that I'm not going to deconstruct the faith just to take on a worldly principle, a worldly mindset, or worldly things and bring that into the church to say, I'm deconstructed because, hey, I don't like that part of what the Bible says, so I'm going to just deconstruct it because I want to agree with some of the things that the world are doing. But if he's saying, if you're deconstructed to go back to tear down some traditions and things that is not rooted in Scripture, but you're just going to tear down this tradition that we've already been doing a lot and say that, okay, there's nothing wrong with that part of deconstructing. If you come to church and say, we're going to change a tradition that we always have been doing, but it's not, it just say you got to do it, but it don't tell you exactly how to do it. And I always use the example of bringing up of communion, how we were brought up, how we were taught to do communion in one way, you know, first Sunday, that's how we do it here in Striving. And so now that's a tradition. And so somebody may come in and say, Pastor, man, I really feel like communion is so sacred and so holy. I think we got to do it more. We, just, we, we ought to just come into that moment every time we worship. Now, I can either agree with that and say, okay, I ain't got nothing wrong with that. Let's do it. So now we've changed the tradition, but we have not changed the truth of the principle that we're trying to get out there. Okay? But it would be different if someone were to come in and say, man, you know, communion is an old concept. You don't even need to acknowledge Jesus, death, buried, and resurrection. Well, that's different. Or you go back to a scripture, you know, because the world is changing around us, that people will say, okay, well, that's in the Old Testament. So therefore, that don't apply. Well, there's certain things, certain truths that go all the way through the Bible. And so what we have to be careful of when we try to defend the faith and we deal with young Christians, they're going to come with questions. And, and they're going to come with questions that sometimes may be difficult. And sometimes the answer is that, hey, I don't really know the exact answer to that. I can't tell you. But I can tell you that certain things you got to accept by faith. Instead of just blowing them off and say, oh, you just need to accept. Because this generation ain't just accepting it because we say so. I mean, these guys, they, they, they got the why question. Why? You sure? I don't see it that way. Because the influences that they're undergoing and the, and, and the things that they're coming up with, we didn't have that influence that quick. The influence was there for us, but... They got it at their fingertip, man. I mean, just a keystroke. They can be anywhere in the world they want to be, in any room, in any place, learning about anything they want to. They can even just talk to the phone, say, tell me about this, and serious, start talking. And so when we're up against that, we're going to have to be able to defend what we believe, but we got to be able to do it without being offensive. You know, and, and so you can believe in your truth, but don't 
presented in such a way that the person feels like you are abusing them just to tell them the truth. The gospel is supposed to be good news. And that's what Paul was saying. Hey, hey look, I was glad to hear, man, that when, when I heard that you guys were doing good, it made me feel good because he wanted to know where were they at in their faith. And look at verse 3, he says, verse 3 says, and, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you're going through, but you know that we are destined for such troubles. So I sent them back to strengthen you and to encourage you in your faith, to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through, because they were being persecuted. But then he's, the key verse here, the key part of this, but you know, somebody say you know. You know that we are destined for such troubles. In other words, they coming. It's going to be a part of your life. And so if you get saved and I don't tell you that and make you think, well, you done gave the Lord your life and everything going to be all right. No. You destined for some trouble. Something's going to come in your life. You know, when you, I'm talking, he's talking about people who trying to sincerely change the way they live, you know, transforming their mind and the way they think and the way they conduct themselves, trying to make noticeable changes to their lives based upon how the Holy Spirit is dealing with them and convicting them. Man, when you start making those type of changes that people see as drastic, they're coming at you. Because they're not going to understand you done jumped off into that. What's wrong with you doing that now? You know, you know, we used to do that together. What's wrong? So, so now they're going to think, oh, you're looking at me crazy because I'm sitting here, got my wine and I got all this, and you used to have it with me, but now the Lord done convicted you and you done stopped. And then so now, they're going to come at you. And then they're going to play with your mind. Oh, you don't got, you just don't got too holy. And we get scared when they call us holy. We instead of jumping up and down, we all be shouting. Nobody, oh man, they just called me holy. Now I got to defend why I'm not holy. I'm not, I'm not, because I don't think we understand what holy means. So when somebody uses it against us, we back away from it like it's bad when God commanded us to be holy. Because he is holy. And we're going to talk about that a little bit here uh, later on at the end of this. But so he was saying, now look, man, you're destined for trouble. So if someone gets saved, Major, and we're teaching them through, the, uh, uh, through lessons and, and, and sermons, we're doing them a disservice if we make them think that you got saved yesterday, you know, your marriage is going to be perfect tomorrow. Now, if you was having problems yesterday and y'all didn't deal with them, just going down to the altar today ain't going to solve no problems. Because you're going to have to deal with them. You're going to have to get to the point where you can no longer take it and say, okay, now we're going to sit down and figure out how to solve this because we've been talking about it too long. But, but when you give people that illusion that life is going to drastically change, man, and things happen to you, change. Personal testimony, I don't share this with a lot of people, but I'm going to share it now. A couple of things. The, the, the thing that almost shook my faith the most was when Lady Jeanette died. 62 years old, and I said, God, you said in the Bible, three score and ten. Why couldn't she make seven? So I started questioning God, why couldn't, and I know she was saved, I know she loved you, why couldn't she make seven? Then I started thinking, you know, of all the diseases in the world, Lord, why would you allow ALS to come to her? One that when you go in and see the doctor, he tell you right up front, Ain't no known cure for this, period. 
Ain't nothing we can do. Nothing. It's just how long will her muscle system and, and no logical system hold up? What? And the lifespan for most people is only two to five years. And I'm saying, God, it could have been breast cancer. At least you could feel like you're fighting it. You see what I'm saying? You go get some chemo, you go get this, you get that. It could have been something that she could at least fight. Something came on her that she couldn't even, not even if she wanted to. And so that thing shook me because I'm saying, now, God, that's two things now. 62. She didn't even get a chance to start drawing her own Social Security. So I had to catch myself in the midst of all that. But by catching myself in the midst of all that, helped me dealt with when my dad and my sister died. Because then I could say that if God could get me through and hold with me to get, continue to talk about Jesus and with losing Jeanette like that, then losing daddy and sister is not as bad as losing the first time. And if he got me through that, so what I'm trying to tell you, there will be some things that can come in your life that will shake your faith. But you got to know that you got a strong foundation and you stand on it. And because the Bible admonishes us to walk by faith and not by sight. So when we try to see everything, that's going to confuse us. We got to trust God for the things that we don't see. And so, so what I'm trying to say is that you got to be able to have a solid foundation so when your world gets shook up by something, that you don't look and start blaming God, and then everything is, why God, why God? And then when somebody coming to you and say, why would a loving God take your wife? He is love. You got to know how to have an answer and respond to that. And so sometimes my answer is that, look, I don't know everything that God knows. And I have to trust him even when it looked like to the world it don't make sense to trust a God that would do that. And so it's no different when someone lose a child, young and they're Christian, and, and if they're not careful, they'll blame God, and then they'll walk away from the faith. And so that's why he's saying it's so important, man, when these troubles come, you got to have a strong foundation. Because if you don't have a strong foundation, it's easy to just pull away and go back into what you're familiar with, back to the world. It's easy to do that. And so that's why he was so concerned about them. He says, now look, we warn you. He said, now look, verse 4 says, even while we were there with you, we warn you that troubles will soon come, and they did, as you well know. We got to warn people, especially the baby Christians. We got to let them know, hey, man, trouble is coming. And, and, and I remember when I was overseas stationed in NATO, we used to have a saying over there, to be forewarned is to be forearmed. And, and that mindset that if I tell you something is going to come, then you can prepare yourself for when it comes. So it, it won't be a surprise to you. You won't be devastated about it because I told you. And if it don't come, then you're going to be all right. But if it do come, you won't have to say, man, Pastor Bowden didn't even tell me it was going to hit me like this. You know, and so what I try to tell, tell people is that when you teaching and talking to people about the gospel, you got to tell them about the, the good and the bad. It ain't going to always be prosperous for everybody and everything. But there are going to be some people that are going to have to suffer some things for the gospel. And if they don't know that and they get hit with that, then the first thing they're going to do is feel like, hey, man, Jesus sold me a bill of goods that I thought life was going to get immediately better. 
and it did. Because it's a process. Because you got an enemy out there that's trying to hold you down, keep you back, and if you don't know that, then what he would do is, like I said earlier, he will sift you, pull you away. So we warn people. We got to warn people that troubles are coming. So to just say, man, you got two years in, you're still a baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're still a baby. And, and, and knowing that you're still a baby, you're just a toddler. So you're going to make some toddler mistakes because it just happens. And it, as you grow, some of those mistakes that you're making as a toddler, you're going to stop making those mistakes. But when you make one of those mistakes, you can't let that be an excuse. To, oh, well, ain't no need me going back. Because I fell back in it again. Said I was through with it. Now I'm back. Well, that's what growth is all about. Like riding a bicycle, they say, you know, sometimes you're going to fall off that puppy. When you start growing, you just got to be strong enough to get back up and keep pedaling. But once you figure it out, you got it. And so we got to see everybody go through this process of growing. And those of us who've been in the battle longer, we got to be here to support those and encourage those and warn those who are coming along behind us. He said, now look, verse 5, he says, that is why when I could bear it no longer, I sent Timothy to find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our works had been useless. The devil is still a tempter. Temptation is out there. Preach a whole sermon about that temptation. But just because we are tempted, it's not a sin. Jesus was tempted. The sin is when we yield to the temptation. But the Bible tells us that with every temptation, God gives us a way out. The problem is that we're being tempted sometimes. We're not looking for the way out. And if you don't look for the way out of temptation, your temptation is going to overcome you. And so there's nothing wrong with Christians being tempted. We can be tempted for anything, any of our past habits, addictions, or behaviors that, 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 that we have been delivered from. We can be tempted by those things. You know, and, 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 but I'm so glad. I always use my gambling testimony because that's what I really love doing. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a drunker like that. I didn't drink that much. I, ne- I wasn't a weed head or drug addict. Or that. I didn't do no drugs. That, was, that just wasn't my thing. I don't know why. I just wasn't there. I never locked in to drugs like that. The only time I ever did look drugs was, you know, when I was trying to lose weight in the military. They told me to get some, get some, buy some speed pills. So I went and bought some illegal drugs to, to keep my system running so I could lose some weight. So I did that. But, but I didn't get addicted to them. It was just a, a rush to keep you going. Keep you, you're going, you know? And now, what I'm saying is that I can say, well, man, you know, you're getting older now, Pastor, and you're slowing down. Why don't you just go pop you a, a pick-me-upper? I could be tempted to go back and because I could probably find them right now if I was looking for them. But what I'm trying to say is that because I know that I have been delivered from that, I can talk about that and then not want to go back to it. So I feel like, hey, my, I'm doing okay for the Lord. And the person who brought me into the ministry can look back and say, man, training Bolden was not a useless effort. And that's what Paul was trying to say. Man, training Jesse, man, ain't going to be no useless effort. Because he's going he to stay the course. And that's what Paul said, man, we don't want our labor and our effort to what we'll show it in the people's lives to be a useless effort. 
But we got to keep it real with them by letting them know that you're still going to have the challenges of life. And as they come, we got to be there for them to, to pray that they continue to be strong. You know, when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he talked about several levels of faith. One time he said they had weak faith, no faith, little faith, then strong faith, and great faith. But when he talked about the strong and great, very seldom he talked about them to some other people that had greater faith, you know? And so what we're trying to say is that there are levels of faith that we have in the Lord. There are some people that will take a bigger risk in faith than the other person. And they're still walking by faith, but they're not walking in the same degree of faith. Because if everybody was operating in strong faith, man, you'll see Christians doing some things that you just couldn't imagine. But because people are walking in some with weak faith, little faith, we got to keep working with them to get them to get to the point where their faith gets strong and they be strengthened in the faith. Because that's what the battle is for, for you to hold on to your faith, to hold on to what you believe in. Okay, that makes sense to everybody? He said, now look, verse 6 said, but Timothy, but now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. He said, man, Timothy came back and said, man, you guys still made, you're holding down the faith, man. And then y'all also love, still will love one another. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't killed each other over there, arguing about everything. Y'all still walking in faith and love. That's two of the key po- components, you know, uh, 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 characteristics or uh, attributes of Christianity, man. We have to be people of faith, and we got to understand how important love is to God. And so because love is important to God, he said, look, he was excited because they love God and they know how to love one another. And those are the things he's saying, look, Faith and love. And then he says, he reports that you always remember our visits with joy. And that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. You know, have you ever had somebody that, oh, you done visited somebody. And after you left, they said, man, man, that major visit was a visit from hell, man. (laughs) I mean, major left, man. I ain't got, ain't no joy. Major go, I ain't got no joy, man. man major left, man. I, I didn't, he didn't leave me with joy. So what I'm trying to tell you, man, when we're around people as Christians, we got to bring some joy sometimes. I mean, we got to stop, we got to stop taking people on downers, man. We got to bring some joy. So that when we leave, and they can say, man, I was glad to be around Kevin. You know, she brought but some Christians, when they leave, you glad to see them go. I mean, you, you're glad, I mean, I'm glad he go. Because they don't know how to bring joy to people. They're some sour Christians. Everything, they're just negative, negative, negative all the time. And when they leave, you're glad to see them go. And Paul said, hey, when he left, man, he was glad that they were glad. And they looked back on their experience with him with great joy. Now look at verse 7. Look at this. Says, now look. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our trouble and suffering. Wow. He says, in the midst of our trouble and suffering, we have been encouraged. Why? Because we got a good report on you. Sometimes when people are going through and they can get good news, 
that something's going well in somebody else's life who's going through, it encouraged them to want to continue their fight. And see, this thing with ministry and with people walking away from Paul and Paul feeling that certain thing was useless and people walking away from the faith, I'm going to just real quick take a quick look before I get back to verse 7 and continue there. He says now in 1 Timothy, y'all don't have to turn there, but I'll read this, 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. He says, Timothy, my son, hear my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in, in the Lord's battle. You got to fight the good fight of faith. I mean, and, and, and if you don't fight a good fight of faith, you'll walk away from the faith. So look what he says. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clean. For some have deliberately violated their conscience and as a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. There are people today who, that you probably know three years ago, ain't even in church. They don't even want to talk about Jesus, don't want to talk about nothing about the gospel because their faith has been shipwrecked. And he said, Hymenaeus and Alexander are two examples. And he said, I threw them out and handed them over to Satan so that they may learn not to blaspheme God. In other words, they came to church, they hung around the church, started teaching, being taught the word, and then now all of a sudden they're talking bad about the very God they was worshiping. And he said, before I let them guys hang around me, talking bad about our God, I'm going to throw them out. And guess what that means to you? When you get saved and start getting serious and, 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 and your life is changing and the people that you run with start putting down your God, you got to put them down. Transformation going to cause you to lose some friends. Amen. That just comes with the change. And, 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 it's, and losing some friends is for your betterment. God is not taking things out of your life to make life miserable for you. He's trying to make life better for you. Because there are people who got influences over you that can still sway you because they got a stronger hold on you than the Holy Spirit right now. And so when God tells you, hey, maybe I need to stop listening to this person. I need to stop watching this. I need to stop doing that. Don't look at that as a negative thing. Look at that. He can replace that with something that's going to continue to allow you to grow. Now, I'm not so crazy that I tell, you know, I know some preachers get real gun ho right here telling people, you know, you shouldn't go to movies no more. You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. That ain't, that ain't me. I mean, I, I still go to movies. I don't go to movies now. that I don't figure out Netflix. I watch them on Netflix. You know, three years ago, I didn't know nothing about no Netflix, but COVID taught me I had to learn about it from Netflix. So now if it's a good movie out there, I want to see it, I watch it. But there are certain movies on Netflix that mess with my spirit. So about five minutes into it, click, I'm going to the next thing. Because my spirit said, hey, you can't look at that, no, because some of the things that was going on there vexed my spirit, so guess what? I had to move on. And so what I'm trying to tell you, there are certain things that God is going to quicken your spirit, and when he does that, you got to be willing to move on. Don't try to say, well, God is, because he's trying to tell you, in order for you to grow, i got to take some of these things out of your life, because you got to put filters in your life so that you don't allow everything into your eye gate and your ear gate. Man, I tell you now, man, I've been watching even simple shows with little kids, I'm telling you. Man, they use the B word like it's, like it's popcorn now. And you want your girls to call you. These are my bees. What? That used to be a nasty word. But now it's glorified. 
I'm telling you. High school, little kids, I'm telling you. I mean, I was watching them, and I thought they funny, but man, they come real close. I was watching some blackish. Yeah, blackish. I mean, it's funny. And, and they tell a couple current events and stuff like that, but sometimes those kids slip some words in, and they use some language in there. And, ooh. Not because I know I done gave up cursing names here, but I'm saying if somebody's kids is watching that, even though it ain't a bad, it ain't, by all means, it's not an R-rated or, you know, secular show like that. But still, if you got kids listen to that, and then your little son come home and say, you know, use the B-word, because he done heard the little girl at the school to watch that say the B-word, you want to know, well, he get the B-word from like that. Because it's glorified now. I couldn't believe it. It just blew my mind. And not just that, on, on a lot of shows now, things that used to be censored before it could get to you, now, it coming unfiltered, man. And so what I'm trying to say, if we don't have some filters in our lives to, where the Holy Spirit say, hey, this particular show ain't for me because it quickened my spirit. I can watch this. Yeah, I can follow that, understand that. But everything ain't for you. So you got to let the Spirit lead you and guide you and tell you what you let into your eyes and your ears because I know people don't want to believe it. But that's how the enemy get into your spirit, through your eyes and your ears and things like that. That's why, that's why music is so powerful. That's why it can, it can do things to you you don't even know. I'm just talking about straight up music. I ain't talking about the lyrics. I'm just talking about music. That's why a lot of times when you're on elevators and they know folks scared, they used to put music on to calm them down. So music can take you places. I can be listening to some radio station and bam, man. I can hear a song, and I can almost call the year and the date and what I was doing when that song is played. And that's 30, 40 years ago. It come back just like, so there are certain things that get in our spirit. It's still registered up here. And if we don't allow the spirit to take captive those things that register up here, then it's easy for us to be pulled back, and we'll find ourselves like Hymenaeus here in now look at this real quick, and I'm just going to read this verse in 2 Timothy 4 and 9. He says, Timothy, please come to me as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loved the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Susan uh, has gone to Galatia, but they went for a different reason. And Titus had gone to Dalmatia. In other words, Demas, some of your Bibles say he went back to the world. And, and now the world has got such a strong pull out there now. There are a lot of Christians who are abandoning the faith and going back to the world. Because now things that used to be censored and filtered and all that is coming at you fast and quicker. Back in our day, you know, coming up, man, you know, the worst thing you had was, a, you know, a Playboy magazine, and that wasn't that bad. If you look compared to today's standard back then, they thought it was taboo, taboo. You know, you ain't leave them out everywhere. That daddy at least hit them and stuff. They didn't let the little kid get hold to them. But now, man, you had to wait till the next edition to come out. You know, you just, now, you just click. And one push of the button, Bam. So now when you got kids who can do that and nobody have 
filters to keep that from coming into their little ears and eyes and, and mind, then guess what? They're going to be influenced by that thing. And not just kids, grown folks. And so that's why when the Spirit speaks to you, you got to make sure that you're not saturating your heart and your mind and your spirit with things that are going to draw you back to the world. Because God called us out of the world into his marvelous light. Called us out of that. And he didn't call us out of it to never interact with the world because he left us here. But now our interaction got to be from a different viewpoint, and that viewpoint is his viewpoint. Worldly, our worldly mindset, that's why the, Paul told the Corinthians, man, I want to do some things for you, but you guys are carnally minded. He still called them Christians. I mean, he wrote to them, but there are a lot of carnal minded Christians in the church today. In other words, they think more in line with the world than they do with the word. They love Jesus, they come to church, but they're thinking, they have not transformed the way they think. And if your thinking don't change, then you can fill all the squares you want in the church. You're going to still do what you think. And so he was saying, man, these guys, this guy left me, and I was, in, I, was in, I was being persecuted. He abandoned me and went back to the world. Now, I don't want you to rat him out, but just think, close your eyes for a minute. You can probably close your eyes and see some of your folks that you know that done just gone back to the world. Now, I mean, I don't rape, you know, I know people, everybody got different stance on different things. Going back to the world for me would be like, hey, man, all of a sudden, y'all see Pastor Bolden popping out there on Friday night. You know, man, I'm tired of looking at CNN. I'm tired of Netflix. I'm just going down here for a night out. There ain't no sin. I ain't going to get drunk. I just want to go hang out and see what's going on, how, how they're kicking off up in there. Now, I could justify, say, well, that ain't no sin. I ain't going to get drunk. I'm just going to hear some live music. Make that I know you ain't going to buy that. Is it? No, so now all of a sudden, I'm well within my rights. I just went there because live music. I just want to go and want to walk in. And I walk out and here come Major. Major going to look at that and say, oh, my God. Now, when I get up and try to preach to Major, it shouldn't be that way. All he's going to see is me coming out Studio 409 or whatever that is. That's all he's going to see. He don't care that the word that I just preached is powerful. But Major said, I saw him last night, man. I saw him. And, and he don't know, he don't even care that all I did was went in for a few minutes, meet somebody there, had a soda, put a chair in it, and walked out. And so what I'm trying to tell you is that that little thing that God has delivered us from, that if we're not careful, we can go back to those things. And then justify, that, hey, I ain't going to sin. And so for me to do it, for me it would be sin because I know I, I gave up that life. Everybody wasn't convicted to the same degree I was when it comes to that. I gave it up. So I have no desire to do that on a regular unless it's a special occasion, you know. Somebody get married, yeah, I'll stick around. I ain't going to do that, you know. But when, I, when we used to first marry people, and I, I was knowledgeable enough to know what happens at a wedding, you're going to throw down. If you got any money at all, you ain't going to just go there. <laughs> you're going to say, well, the Jews, when they threw a wedding, they... They drunk good stuff. And so I used to feel like, man, when I used to go to some people, when I was first time married, people go to the wedding, I feel like everybody was looking at me. 
when are you leaving? Because we ready to turn it up, and you're still sitting there. And I figured it out. Everybody acting so nice because Pastor's still sitting there. So I used to just go watch the first dance, whoever that dance was, then that would be my exit time. Let me go and get out of here now because they ready to turn it up. The bar is already over there, so I'm the hold up. So let me just go and get out of here. But it's, it's so, but as, over time, when people understood that I wasn't going to judge them, but they wear them. Do what you want at your wedding. You don't pay for it, you do what you want. But for me to go to the wedding and drink with you, that would be bad for me. Because for some people, it would be a stumbling block to see me drinking at a wedding. And I could, could grow up and say, but that's their problem. They just need to get over it. Major need to get over it. He just need to get over it. I wanted some champagne tonight. What major got to do with that? But no. I know certain things that I don't do because I, I know how people could respond to it. And so everybody got to have their own level of conviction when it comes to how you interact with the world. Because you all came out of the world into God's kingdom, but you got to let the Spirit lead you how you're going to interact with the world now that you're saved. We got to interact with the world, but we got to do it in a way that God will be glorified. He says, now look, let me go back to verse 7. So, so we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our trouble and suffering, dear brother and sister, because you have remained strong in your faith. Look at this. He said, it gives me new life. I'm going through, but when I heard that, when I heard that Major is holding on, man, I got new life now. I want to keep holding on because I done heard the major going through and he's making it, then guess what? I'm encouraged now to go even further. And that's what we can be to one another. Man, when you continue to go through things and you continue to hold fast to your faith, you can encourage others who are on, on the verge of turning loose their faith because they see that you'll stay in the course. So you got to, I, I want to encourage all of you, live out your conviction. Not somebody else's conviction, but whatever God convict your heart on, whatever your conscience is convicted on, you got to live with a clean conscience because your conscience is designed to keep you in check sometimes. And so sometimes when something in your conscious mind, you don't have a peace about it, he's trying to tell you maybe that is something that you need to give up, something that you need to consider another way, another approach, because your conscience is now trying to minister to you to bring about change in your life. He said, so I'm encouraged when I heard that you remain strong in your faith. He said, it gives me new life that you are standing firm in the Lord. How I thank God because of you. Because you have, because we have great joy as we enter into God's presence. Now we're going into our time of prayer and worshiping God. Man, we, it's great joy as a pastor to know that and believe that the members are striving are growing and holding on to the faith. Man, it, it, it wouldn't be a joy to a teacher or a minister or anyone who done been ministering to a saint that you are watching them grow, and all of a sudden now they done fell off. Then now, during your time, that shouldn't be a time of great joy. So he's saying by the fact that you guys are holding on to the faith, it's a great joy. He says, night and day, we, earnest, we pray earnestly for you, asking God to let us see you again to fill the gap in your faith. In other words, we couldn't tell you everything that you need to know about Jesus when we were there. We had to leave too quick. But there's some things I want to make sure we can come in and fill the gap in your life. 
Because there may be some gaps in your faith. There may be some things you learned, but you didn't learn the whole truth behind it. And so therefore now someone can come and talk you out of what you learned because you don't know enough to defend what you learned. And so he said, now look, I want to fill some gaps because you may have missed some things about Jesus, what his purpose was, what he was here to do, what, the, what his return is going to be like. I want to fill those gaps in your faith. And there are people in church today who probably got some gaps in their faith. There's some things that nobody has taken the time to explain to them, to break it, make it clear. And that's why I think preaching and teaching go hand in hand because people got to be taught. They can't turn their brain off when they come to church. And the word got to be to a degree that they can understand what they're hearing so they can use it. So he says, we want to fill the gaps in your faith. Then he says, may God the Father, God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, bring us to you very soon. In other words, Paul is saying, I'm still trusting God and the Lord to guide me. Now, to believe that he didn't get back to them to about four years later, if that. So even though that was his prayer, he knew that the timing for things happening was on God and not on him. And so therefore, we got to do things and make sure in our lives that if we have that relationship and communication with God, we want to make sure that we're walking in the same timing with him and don't get in front of him. So he's saying, look, I want to come see you, but look here, I, I got to trust God and Jesus that I can get to you soon. And if I don't, then it won't be because I didn't want to come. It'd be because they probably did not make a way for me to come. Then he says in verse 12, may God, verse 11 again, he said, may, may God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ bring us to you soon. And may the Lord make you Love one another. Again, he's bringing that back around. Why? And all, and for all people, grow and overflow just as our love for you overflow. Now look at this. And may the Lord make you love one another. So first of all, you got to love one another. Then you got to have some love for others so that you can grow and that your love will overflow. If everybody could get this principle about love, man, the world would be a better place. But even Christians have a hard time loving like God loves. And because of that, we don't see the power of God moving our lives because we're violating the first principle, love. You got to start off loving him. You got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So therefore, he said, look, this thing about love for one another and love for other people, he want that to overflow, grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflow. Man, and, 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 and things will be better if we can just get love to overflow, man, in this country. I'm telling you, we can't, until we do that, this country is going to be jacked up. Because we, we are saying we are godly nation, but we are violating the first principle that God gave us. The command to love one another. To love the Lord thy God with all our heart, spirit, soul, and mind, and body, and love thy neighbor as thyself. So you can't get it together if we, everybody can at least practice love and have genuine love for people. He said, now look, and I want to have a discussion right here as we get ready to close. He said, now look, verse 13. May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy. Strong, heart, 
strong conviction to try to live a blameless life so that people can't make accusations. And holy. Now look at this. Today, how, how do you, when you hear that word holy, what, what, what comes to your mind? How, how, what does that word mean to you? How do you, because everybody may have a different way of how they interpret that because some people can interpret it be so far one way and some people can dodge it all together and, and, and will tell you quick, well, can't nobody be holy. Ain't nobody, ain't nobody holy for God. No, that got to be, that got to be something that he wouldn't tell us to do it if it wasn't possible. So what does trying to be holy mean to you? When you read that passage, how do you interpret it? Because how you interpret it is going to determine how you live. Gloria? Um, for me, having a mind of Christ. Okay. Let this mind be in you that was in him. Okay. We can have the mind of Christ because he told that to the Corinthians also. So he says, so anybody else? Holy. When you hear the word holy, what does it mean to you? Lifestyle? Okay. A lifestyle? Well, lifestyle is broad. So what does a holy lifestyle look like? And it may be different for everybody. That's it. Adrian, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say set apart. Set, set apart. For his use. Okay. Say uh, be obedient to God's word. Okay. Crucify the flesh. Crucify the flesh. Okay. So, so a lot of things that are given here. But, you know, in the past, we have seen that word holy and interpreted based upon how we see people and how they act outwardly. So therefore, we used to define holy by how people dress. And so in order for you to dress like a holy man or a holy woman, your dress can't be above your knees. Your arms, you know, your shoulders, got, you, can't, you gotta have sleeves on. And so we, with our narrow thinking, thought that because someone came in with a dress or a shirt or whatever that had their arms out, ooh, that ain't holy. Because we were never looking at the person's heart, seeing what's in their heart. Holiness got to be an inside thing. Because once it get right on the inside, then it will govern how we live on the outside. But don't make the mistake of judging holiness based upon what someone wear. Because there's some unholy folk that wear long dresses and nice suits. But if you're looking at that, and there's some unholy folk that carry a Bible. So if you're looking at the outer appearance and say, oh, they must be holy. They got the Bible in their hand. They got apps on it. Now some of them got five different apps on the Bible on their phone. They, they must be holy. Well, not necessarily. But I want to warn you, don't look at holiness from someone else's lifestyle. Look at it from yours. Because now when Major try to overlay his holy on somebody else, then now if he's not careful, he can become judgmental of anybody that he feels like not interpreting holy like he interprets holy. And so what I say to people is that, hey, if it's, if it's not clearly defined as sin and you don't do it because you don't want to, 
but someone else do it because they desire to, then you can't say that they're unholy because they do something you don't do. And I had to get that when it comes to alcohol. Because, you know, like I said, I wasn't a big drunk. But I used to have a hard time seeing Christians drink alcohol in public. Because that's how we were kind of conditioned in Church of God in Christ. When you went out in public, you, went, you better not. We, I mean, we were, in that time in Spain, over in Europe, man, wine is waiting on you. You go to dinner, they give you a seven-course meal. You're going to be there for about three hours. By the time they get through bringing all them courses out and you feed, but the wine, the sangria, I mean, it's flowing. And we all sit in this table for three hours, and nobody touched it. But half of us wanted a sip. But because we were all thinking, if boy, I would be looked at as unholy if I just picked that up and just had a little sip. So that mindset was in me, so I was hard on anybody who I would see a Christian drinking. Now you're going to be turned up like that, man. You, you say. But then as I let loose some of my dogmatic behavior, I can deal with it now, but drunkenness is still a sin, so don't let me see you drunk. Because then I got a different opinion now. I got something to say that, uh-oh, I know that ain't holy. So God said that's a... And so if God calls it, I got to agree with God whether I like you or not. And so we just got to make sure that, that God has set a high bar for us and he expects us to try. At least try to shoot for holy. At least try. Jesse, go ahead. And... So my question is like, kind of where do you, where do you draw the line? Because like, I feel like it's a fine line between being judgmental and, I don't know, I guess being judgmental is like projecting what you think is holy on someone else. So like, where do you draw the line? not judgment, but also agreeing to the holiness of that person. You know, for me, when it comes to trying to draw that line now, the, the line is drawn based upon what God say about sin. If it's something that is sinful and God clearly calls it sin, I can't disagree with God. I, no matter what the culture say and how the culture change around us until the word change, if God calls it something that goes against him, then I got to agree with God. But now judgmental is meaning that, okay, so a lot of times people who are judgmental, judgmental, they are harder on people for doing something that they themselves are doing. And now they become very judgmental and Pharisee in that mindset uh, when it comes to approaching other Christians. And, and, and again, coming up in Church of God in Christ, that spirit used to be on me. I mean, I, we, we were judgmental. I mean, we, we, we had a don't for everything. I mean, I didn't, in the Baptist church, we were a little bit more lenient, but we didn't, you know, the only thing they were worried about was women wearing pants. They didn't care about the dresses, how long were they? But if you, you, but if you walk up in here with some pants on, you ain't coming in this door, Jack, not today. They're going to stop you at the door. But, you know, when I got to Church of God in Christ, they were hard on makeup. They were hard on hair. You know, you, your dresses had to be a certain length. You had to have sleeves on. I mean, they had a rule for everything. And but when I was in there, I was in Rome. So when I was in Rome, I did what the Romans do. Because all of us played by that same rule book. I didn't go there to bug the system. That's what everybody did. It was expected of that. But then when you get out of Rome and say, wow, that's some people just as holy. And they got cut off 
no, no sleeves. And they're okay. And so what we have to do is we got to start by looking at ourselves first. Look at Jesse. Jesse, you got to determine if this is convicted you, then you can still be around your, and I know Keisha had your hand up. If you want to say something. I know being around your friends or being around somebody else, you can be around them without condemning them. When, you, when I think of judgmental, I think of it from the standpoint of casting condemnation on, on someone as to saying, because you're doing this, you're going to hell. It is not, and I know sometimes they put Christians on, 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 uh, on defense by saying, but don't be judging me. Uh, wait a minute. You drunk. I ain't judging you. You are drunk. That is sin. You fornicate. You cheating on your wife. I ain't judging you. God is saying that's wrong. So I'm not going to come in and buy into your weaknesses to make you feel good. That's just judgment. I ain't judging you, judging yourself. <laughs> you know the folks say you don't do this and you don't, and you do it. So now you ain't going to put me on a guilt trip. Because if it's sin, it's sin. Keisha, go ahead. I 100% agree with you. And my other thing that I had to get right before I got to striving, I, I feel like it took me a minute to step away from church to get free and to praise God, worship him, enjoy fellowship with him, everything freely. Because growing up, I felt so bound up. But then I would see people who didn't quite look like me in them same arenas, and they just be having the best time. And so in the conversations I started having with them, like I could go to a friend's church and they got on jeans and they dancing around and they doing this and doing that and they still loving God and you see it and they walk and they real free with you and they, you know, offering you to just humble and doing all these type of things. So it's kind of like what Pastor was saying, what's inside of you, right? But I was so um, bound up with all of the stuff that people put on me for me to look like a Christian and to act and behave like one instead of letting God do it from the inside and let it show out, right? And then I believe that he made each one of us so individual to where I stop apologizing for being loud or being the A personality or sitting up front or saying something because he made me that way. And there are people who will never do it and it's okay because we need those individuals in the world, but we need people like me too. And I just said, if you really got that much of a problem with it, you need to deal with God with it, right? So just to say what Jess was saying, where you draw the line, it's like my granddaddy used to say, lay a straight stick next to a crooked one. You don't have to say nothing. So if you come into their life and you say, hey, let's go to lunch, and y'all sitting there, and see if somebody just constantly cussing, going, 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 and they sitting there across from you, and you kind of, your Holy Spirit is right there with you, It'll shut all that up, and they'll start talking to you different, and they'll start, you, do, do you see what I'm saying? So sometimes it's, it's not about us, all, and I promise you, I, I really struggle with that as an African-American being in some churches because you walk in and you feel bound up, and I just want to be free, and I just, I mean, like, I could go into other churches, and I'm talking about, like, have a marvelous time and leave out of there, and then, like Pastor said, all the don'ts, don't, 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 don't. What are the do's? Give me some do's. Amen. 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 And so that's what, as he was closed up, he says, may he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy 
as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus come again with all his holy people. In other words, he's letting us know that we each going to have to give an account for what we do in this body. I'm not major's judge, major's not my judge. But we both going to stand before the same judge who's righteous, and he's going to hold us accountable for all the things that we've done in this body, whether good or bad. And that's why we need to depend on the Holy Spirit now that he will lead us and guide us to try to do the things that God considers good. Amen? Amen. All right, well, I think that's it for tonight. Anybody else have, Pam, you have something you want to say? Now you, okay, okay. Anybody else got anything they want to say before we close out? Okay. Well, we're going to call your attention to a couple of announcements and let you get out of here.